0: Not a perfect, not a perfect person. But the good thing about David, I leave it to Marina to describe it to us. No, take <laughs> it away. <laughs> we had a deal. You, I prepared the slide no no, 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 <laughs> no, no. Because I was just sharing with them, like I, I needed to, to, to give a presentation over the last weekend, and for it I needed to read almost the entire book of First Samuel and Second Samuel. Oh my so uh, it's it's fresh in my mind. It's really interesting. Your book, so... It really is. Like yes. I I have to admit, um, I politely tried to decline this talk several times <laughs> <laughs> because the, the Old Testament is not the easiest to understand. Mm. Um, and this series has been really helpful. I guess in, in making it a lot more relevant, yes. um, especially I think we've had a lot of talks like relating it to the prophecies in the uh, in the future, which is incredibly helpful. The Book of Samuel actually isn't a very heavy read. I I did read the first and second one for this talk. It's a lot easier than, like, Kings and Maccabees and all of that. Mm. Um, To start off, though, I I love puns, so we have to start off with puns, (laughs) because I just love them. So I'm in the medical field, for those of you who don't know, so um, I guess my first biblical-related pun joke is, where does medication first appear in the Bible? Yeah, I didn't get either. So it's when God gave Moses two tablets. <laughs> right? yeah. Although no one calls them tablets anymore. They'll call them pills. But anyway, totally unrelated yeah. medical. But I will say another one. I have three in total. And I have to look, actually look that. up. What's a missionary's favorite car? A cord. A Is it correct? Accord? No. no, no, no I not. thought that too. This is the car of the. Okay. This... Yeah, it's a different one. It's a different one. <laughs> <laughs> I go all out. It's a convertible. Get it? Convertible. <laughs> okay, last one, I promise. Last one. I have a million of these, but I have to pick my top three. Um, they're easily Google. Um, did Adam have a date with Eve before they got married? No. No. No? They had the forbidden fruit, not a date. get <laughs> <Dennis> it? <No>. Date? <laughs> date? Yeah? Yep, okay, uh. it's cute. It's really cute. Okay, so no, I guess they were married already. So anyway, without further ado, so what I did is um, we're going to go through like an overview of the first book and second book quickly. And then we're going to focus on two specific characters in uh, mostly first Samuel and I guess David takes over second Samuel as well. And we'll go through um, a key verse and repeated themes. So there's lots of repetition and that's because repetition makes things stick. Um, If you have questions in the middle, um, feel free to ask. I'm not an expert on this, like, at all. So, Abuna, we will defer to you when we need to. Okay. There you go. So, um, Samuel, obviously, is the author of the first and second books of Samuel. In some Bibles, particularly, I believe, the Protestant ones, it's actually called 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and then 1 Kings and Second Kings. I actually learned this when I was doing this talk. Um, in the strict, strict Orthodox Bible, it's actually 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 3 Kings, 4 Kings. So if you're looking for the books of Samuel in an Orthodox Bible, you won't find them. They're 1 King and 2 Kings. It took me forever. I'm like, my Bible doesn't have Samuel in it. And then I got it. Um, so the author of both? So in some of them, it says uh, mix of Samuel, David, and Solomon, I believe. Right, for the prophet, for Joshua. Again, prophet uh, I heard, Nathan. For 2 Samuel. For Second right? Samuel. So it's a mix of both of them yes. for 2 Samuel is what I heard. Some people say um, parts of it are David, Solomon, and Joshua. I couldn't find a source to like solidify all of them. But 1 Samuel is definitely isolated Samuel. 2 mm-hmm. Samuel is a mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one is particularly, this slide is particularly for 1 Samuel. So it's interesting because both books of Samuel can kind of be cut down straight in the middle (coughs) different life periods. So in the first 12 chapters of the first book of Samuel it's mostly the life of Samuel from when he was a wee little boy until he becomes I guess a prophet and then the second half of the book is the life of David and Saul. It ends with the death of Saul and then we'll go into 2 Samuel just as a quick uh, recap. First we'll just look through 1 Samuel So I split it up just so you can see, Uh, Elkanah and Hannah, those are Samuel's parents. Chapter two, we're going to focus on a little bit later on, that's Hannah's prayer. We have a little bit more of the story of Samuel and Eli. There's a bunch of chapters in the middle where it talks about the Ark of the Covenant and moving of the Ark. Then we have the point, chapter 12, which we're going to focus on as well. That's when Saul is anointed. And from then on, we really get into the gushy stuff with David. So we know that Samuel um, anoints David after. We have David and Goliath. We have the story of like the back and forth when David and Saul are fighting and arguing against each other. There's more travels, more battles, and then it ends um, with Saul and Jonathan dying. That's kind of where um, the second book of Samuel picks up. Again, two major divisions. So, I like how second Samuel is kind of split up if you think about it, David's rise and victories, and then David's troubles. If you guys are familiar with David's troubles after, his family is like a soap opera drama. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of stuff that goes on in that family, and Mm -hmm. that takes over the second half of the second book of Samuel. Um, It's kind of sad when you look, because in the first 10 chapters, David is just, he's thriving, he's thriving as a king, but amidst all of this, he does fall and he does sin, um, and we'll get to that in our themes later, and that's when his family starts to have a bunch of interesting stuff. So the first five chapters are when really David gets anointed, he becomes officially the king of Israel because Saul has passed um, in a battle. Then God establishes David's kingdom, and here's when we start to see (coughs) David really rising uh, thriving. Mm. Then we see David sin with Bathsheba. and I feel like this is like the peak of Mm. he does the sin with Bathsheba and then it just spirals. Um, Absalom, if that name is familiar, he's one of David's sons. Mm. Um, You know, he engages in lots of rebellion, David's concubines. It's very, very interesting and actually I thought that it would be written more complicated but if you're so inclined, I actually encourage you to, when you read it in the book of 2 Samuel, It's actually very understandable. It it literally sounds like you're reading a playwright of today, which is very, it's engaging. And you actually see how once one sin happens, it quickly spirals and leads to another, even among family members. After Absalom rebels, you have a bunch of chapters at the end with David's war, Mm -hmm. and one of the um, end chapters, I think it's 2 Samuel chapter 20, it's just a praise of David, and it's identical to one of the songs. So at the end of even his fall, you do see David coming back and rejoicing in God and repenting. This is themes um, just specific to the second book of Samuel, because the second half of my presentation is going to focus mostly on the first book. But the themes are very much similar in common. Um, rebellion. So we have rebellion between David and Absalom, and if you remember all of the pre lectures or talks that we've had in Edge always highlight the theme of rebellion because the Old Testament mm. seems to be great at reminding us that we're all human and we rebel. And in the Old Testament, there's there's lots of rebellion. No one is immune to sin. Like David, we say, he's a man after God's own heart. And we hear that repeatedly. And we praise David. When you read 2 Samuel, I think I at least had this kind of flinch point where I'm like, how can we... How can we rejoice with David so much? David is so highly exalted in our church. How is this so when he does all of this stuff? But the point is that no one is immune from sin. And God accepts us when we turn to him and we repent. And it's such a lovely story. When you see how much David falls, you kind of get this hope, not that you should compare yourself, but you get this hope that we too, like you're never far away from God as well. And God always keeps His promises. So, Second Samuel seven twenty eight, um, David says, uh, "Lord God, You are good; Your words are true. You have promised this good thing to Your servant." And I feel like almost every person in the Bible and every person in the room can say that God is good and and God is true. And every single word that He says, He keeps His promises. And remembering to return to God. These two are the major themes. Sorry, I realize that. It's acting as a question mark here on my powerpoint it presents as an arrow but it's not a question mark. it's supposed to be an arrow these are the two main themes that we're gonna focus on for today so we go from being tested and broken to being victorious and restored and we also know that trials can also lead us to trust more in God so tested and broken to victorious and restored trials lead us to trust in God these are focusing on some prophecies um, from the second half of Samuel. So David says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And if you guys recall, in the book of Luke, when uh, the angel appears to Mary, right. he actually says, he will be great and be called the son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, mm-hmm. and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His mm-hmm. kingdom will never end. So we see here, um, when David was prophesizing, this prophecy comes true in Christ later on. And I really like this one. We have a lot of good words for, for Jesus. We call him our Savior. We call him our refuge. We call him our rock. And it's constantly reiterated these themes in the Old Testament through various ways. In one of the ways, through Samuel, uh, when David is rejoicing, he says, The Lord is my rock. And in the New Testament, we know St. Peter says, you know, and Jesus was that rock, the rock uh, that Moses struck and water came out. David says, he is my fortress. And we know many times we say, God is our refuge, He is our fortress. It's reiterated several times in the New Testament. David says, God is my deliverer, he is my refuge, he is my saviour. So even when David was prophesying, he said, God is my saviour. And we know, we say Jesus is our saviour, in him we have redemption. There's many different themes, not just through Samuel, but also just in the writings of David and his psalms, and you can literally see the parallels and the words that are used to describe Christ in the New Testament versus what David is saying in the Old Testament. So there's so many more, I just picked these two, but it's relevant in all of the book of Samuel. Does anyone have questions about that before I dive into like the first book of Samuel and the major themes? self-explanatory okay so the main characters in the first book of Samuel um, Eli the priest Hannah Samuel David Saul there's also the minor characters like Jonathan um, I guess you can say Elkanah who's also uh, Samuel's father but for the rest of this talk we're just going to highlight on Hannah and David because I want to focus on certain characteristics for both of them and then again remember these themes tested and broken leads us to being victorious and restored And trials lead us to trust in God. I really like this um, quote. I didn't make it up and I can't take credit. But keeping this in the back of your mind, God can always turn a mess into a message, a test into a testimony, a trial into a triumph, and a victim into a victory. And keep that in mind when we talk about Hannah and David, and maybe even a little bit with Saul, who doesn't turn out to be all of these, but he could have. This is the key verse. And I have an easy way to remember at least the passage, but I'm sure all of you guys have heard this verse at least one time or another. It's in 1 Samuel, it's chapter 16, verse seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I'm gonna keep repeating the same slide over and over and over again. Because this is relevant to almost every character, not only in the Bible, but mostly in Samuel is where we're going to relate it to. So if you can't remember the word for word, essentially the message is humans look at the outward appearance. We use our eyes and we use our eyes only both to look at others and a lot of the times to look at ourselves. But God always looks at the heart. And thank God he looks at the heart because so many times what's on the inside can be very different than the message or the appearance that we give to ourselves or to other people. Um, and the easy way to remember it is well, this is obviously first Samuel so we know it's from first Samuel and the chapter is 16 verse 7 so 1 plus 6 is 7. So first Samuel 16:7. It's very easy to remember. Um, so, oh, so the so the, the was, the was, was um, a, a boy. So Samuel, Samuel is a boy. Samuel is a boy. Said um and, and, and the 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 um um priest, so 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 um, you, you you calling me? Are you, is your name Samuel? No. Oh okay. Okay. So so so, yeah, so, so 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 I said and, you know. Oh, when Samuel was a boy, and he heard him say Samuel Samuel, and he was yes. That's the story that happens when Samuel is young. So he's with Eli the priest. Right. You're absolutely right. Excellent job. Oh. And he hears someone say Samuel, and Samuel gets up several times and says, "Eli, are you calling?" me? Right. <laughs> and it turns out to be God. Yes. I remember that story. Good memory. See, these are some of the stories that we remember that catch us a lot in Samuel. that's Samuel. <laughs> um, so I'm highlighting chapter twelve here. Um, just to relate it back to all of the previous talks that we've talked about rebellion. Because rebellion comes up a lot, and I feel like after hearing it so many times in previous talks, I would be very shameful if I didn't bring it up. (laughs) So I just had to bring it up. Uh, There's lots of rebellion in the books of Samuel, but I, I do think it's important because in the Old Testament, so many times at least I find myself reading it, and I wonder, why are we always reading about, and then Israel rebelled, and then God gives them a second chance. Like it feels like it's, It just drags on and on because we get it already. But it drags on and on to highlight the fact that we really do this to ourselves. We rebel, but God never stops loving us. And we rebel, and God always gives us a chance again. And it's really interesting, when Samuel is anointing Saul, he tells them a very clear message. God really wanted to give them a king. Do you guys remember? Like, was God like, okay, go anoint Saul. No, No. No. No, right, so they asked for a king. They asked for an earthly king, even though they had God, and they had proof that God was there for them the entire time. God could have easily said, no, you know, (laughs) I'm your king, only me, but he's like, okay, fine. You know, we'll anoint a king. And so Samuel gives them a very, very clear message in chapter 12. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the commandments of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continually follow the Lord your God. However, there's always a however, (laughs) if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your father. And it's very simple language. God is clearly saying through Samuel, if you obey and you listen along with your king, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to strengthen you. You will experience all of the blessings and love that I have to offer. And God's love has no limits. And very clearly it says, but if you disobey, the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. They don't need evidence because they have a long history of seeing how it was against their fathers. But God is clearly laying down the law here through Samuel. Fear and obey the Lord, experience his blessings. Rebel and disobey the Lord, experience his chastening. And we see this happening a lot through Samuel where there's obedience and there's blessings and there's rebellion and there's chastening. So, sorry, it's either me that's taking long, or it's... There you go. So Samuel continues after here. This is also when he's anointing Saul. And he says, Do not fear. You have done this wickedness, but do not turn aside from the Lord. Serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside, for then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. This part kind of reminds me of when Jesus says, Um, do not seek after tomorrow what you will eat, what you will drink, right? So this is kind of a reminder of that. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. So there's a lot of repetition in the Old Testament because the message is always clear and the message is always simple. If you fear the Lord and you obey, God's blessings are there. Do not look at the other things of this world. None of the other things are important. As enticing as the world makes it seem like money, like others, like fame, like physical strength, all of that stuff, you don't have to worry. It says, do not go after these things. They cannot profit or deliver. Only God does. He says this message to them, and then we see what happens after through Saul's um, ups and his downs. Just remember this commandment, right? Jesus says, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So this is also an interesting kind of point to see for us in general when we're studying the Bible. This is why we learn from the priests and from our church not to study one book in isolation and not to study just the Old Testament in isolation. Because when I like thought of this, I was like, wow, there are so many things in the New Testament alone that remind me of this passage. We just said a few of them, some of the things Jesus said, but it's full of all of these, you know, we can think about when St. Paul says, all of these things, I count them as nothing. I press on towards the goal. So there's so many reminders, there's so many parallels. And it's actually kind of fun to seek out those parallels. It strengthens our faith, it strengthens it, and it it reminds us that nothing we teach in our church history is just random. There's biblical basis for everything. And I think that is really a strong way to strengthen our own faith. Now we're going to get into the key themes. This should not be foreign to you by now. You're tested and broken. You're victorious and restored. You have trials, but you trust in God. And the key verse should not be foreign either. So 1 Samuel 16:7. Do not look at the outward appearance for God looks at the heart. Now we're gonna talk a little bit about Hannah as soon as it comes. Did you guys realize that Hannah in Arabic is like Hannah, like Hanan? like grace. I just realized that when I was preparing it. So the name Hannah, grace, compassionate, kind, soft. So she was the wife of Elkanah. And if you guys remember, it's a very common story. You mentioned parts of Samuel's life. She had no children, unlike Penaniah. And does anyone remember the story between kind of her and Penaniah? I'm not going to say it. So somebody kind of has to say it. What's like the background story? Does anyone remember? Did I know someone, you guys all know. Did someone have... Did one of the wives have, like, more kids or something like that? Good, yeah. Do you remember which one, Joe? It wasn't Hannah, it was the other wife. Yeah, it was Penanaya. So she, Exactly. So she had more kids, and, you know, every year when um, Elkanah would go and they would offer up these offerings, he would give each of her children, and Hannah didn't have, so he would kind of give, like, almost, like, double or triple for Hannah. Hannah was still really, really sad. And her husband would try to comfort her saying, you know, aren't I enough for you? It's okay if you don't have any children. She was devastated. And Penaya would kind of give her like, I guess what we would say in 2023, like the stink eye. She would look down on her because she had so many children and Hannah had none. And in that time, having no children was like a sign of shame. It was like Mm -hmm. God looked down upon you. You were no good. You had no blessings. You had no riches. So it was not only a feeling that she couldn't be a motherly figure, but it was also kind of the disdain of Penaniah and the disdain of people around her. Like, she was tested and she was definitely broken. She was definitely tested and broken and she definitely went through a trial. And she prayed about it. She took her trials and she put it through full trust in God. And when she went, do you guys remember what happens? I know you do. What happens when she goes into the temple to pray? pray. Who sees her? I'm, I'm, Eli saw her, Eli yeah. the priest. And what did he say? He was drunk. Yeah, so he thought she was drunk because she was crying and praying so much, but mm. she, the words necessarily weren't coming out. So she was moving her mouth and he kind of shamed her. He was like, why are you drunk? Get out of here. Mm. And she says, no, my Lord, I'm, I'm praying for a son. I really want this from God. And, and she trusted God. So she took her brokenness. And she laid it before God in the most honest and open way. She had no shame in taking her brokenness to God. She had nothing to hide from God. She truly, truly waited on God as she prayed. And God saw that. God saw it and he rewarded her. And not just any random son, he gave her Samuel. Samuel the prophet, which is a huge blessing. So she she was barren, she was broken, disdained, ashamed. But she took her broken heart and she turned it, sorry, into an honest prayer. She says to God, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction, so she was afflicted. Afflicted means to be hurt, to be wounded, of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant and grant your maidservant a male child. I will give him to the Lord all the days of of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. So even when she says, you give me a son, she's going to give that son straight back to God. Like, how humble is that? I will give him right back to you. And the word maidservant is a very humble word to use. To be a maidservant means to put yourself at the feet of your, of your owner or of your king. So even when she's praying here, she says, look upon the affliction of your maidservant. Do you remember who else kind of said she was the maid servant, or the hand good, or the handmaid of the Lord? Good, very good. Saint Mary. There's beautiful parallels between Hannah and Saint Mary that we're going to go through. So, despite everything that she went through, Hannah did not forsake her trust in God. And so many times we're probably a Hannah, when we have times when the world looks down on us, we have time when we look down on our on ourselves where other people might say, oh, you're not married, oh, you don't have kids, oh, you don't have a job, oh, you're too fat, you're too skinny, you're too tall, you're too short, you don't make enough. There's a lot of times and sometimes we say that to ourselves, we all have a little bit of a Hannah inside of ourselves. Hopefully we can follow the other side of Hannah, which brings everything before God, brings our brokenness in all its misery and lays it before God and really prays a prayer just like she said. She laid it before God and said what she wanted And said how she felt, but it also says something to her faith. She's saying, "If you give your maidservant a child," so she has that hope that God will answer her prayer. Pardon me. Lux. 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 Yeah. I'm not understanding. (laughs) Oh, the razor of hair. That was Samson. Close. So again, if you looked at Hannah's outward appearance and you did not look at her heart, according to Samuel sixteen seven, you would think, look at Hannah. She's nothing. She has nothing. She's barren. But again, God looks at the heart. So we can see she was tested and broken. Was she victorious and restored? She was. She definitely was. She went through t- trials. Did she use them to demonstrate her trust in God? She most definitely did. This was really cool. This was fun for me. I loved color coding these next two slides. So in chapter two of the first book of Samuel, Hannah is kind of having this prayer where she talks out to God, she explains what she wants and she rejoices. If you compare it to St. Mary's prayer, there are a lot of parallels. So what I did is, sorry for your eyes, I am gonna go back and forth, but I color coded parts of both prayers that are similar. Because when you actually read Hannah's Prayer, you're almost tempted to think that it's a different version or a different translation, um, a bit longer, of St. Mary's Prayer. So when I was growing up, my grandma and and mom had this thing, is every year during St. Mary's Fast, we would memorize St. Mary's Prayer in Arabic and English. So for those of you who know, um, you know, it's my soul magnifies the Lord. i would be something like that. I don't know it in Arabic so much. I know the middle part. (laughs) But anyway... Um, let's go through it really quickly. So Hannah starts off with, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Doesn't it always like, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior. Both of them are kind of in a broken spot. Hannah is praying this when she's broken. She doesn't have her son yet. St. Mary is praying this, and you might not think St. Mary was broken after she heard that she was going to be the mother of of Jesus, but this also meant a lot of disdain for her. She was going to be a 13-year-old pregnant woman in society without a husband who was going to be shamed by Joseph. She didn't know where she was going to stay, and she didn't know how she was going to be a mother. Was she rejoicing? Clearly she was, but she was also in a time where it would be kind of hard to rejoice. Then I'll start all with Mary's and I'll go backwards. Later on, uh, St. Mary says, his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his, with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. If we go back to Hannah and you'll notice the color coding, the other one was brown, this is brown too. I'm not gonna go through all of it, but she says something similar. The Lord makes poor and makes rich He brings the low and he lifts them up. Very similar to how St. Mary says he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. Hannah says at the end of it, The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the throne of his anointed. So at the end, there's kind of a message of hope that just as God was with the judges from before, he'll give strength to his people. And St. Mary's prayer ends with, he will remember uh, as he has helped his servant Israel in the remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers Abraham and to his seed forever. So there's the parallels between both prayers. It almost sounds really like different versions. And again, I think that's really cool. It's cool how in the Bible you can see Hannah and Mary who are similar in some cases, different in others, and their prayers and methods of bringing everything before God are almost identical. So it's really, if you have time, go back and actually read the entire prayers. It's beautiful how they're both similar. Does anyone have any questions before I move on to the next part? Can we have the slides? Can you have the slides? <laughs> yeah. I do charge $5 a slide. Okay. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> this is the way I make money after work. <laughs> Most definitely, it's my pleasure. You will just pray for me after every single slide you read. My pleasure. Now we're gonna switch from Hannah to David so remember we said we're going to talk about two people we're going to talk about Hannah who was tested and broken but she was victorious and restored and she went through trials but she had trust in God I'm sure if you think about what we just talked about you will see that David also goes through very similar things but we'll go through it so David we know he was the youngest son of Jesse and he was chosen to be king after Saul kind of had his glory days and then not so glory days um, what I want you to focus on is, is this verse just on this um, slide. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Does anyone remember where the Spirit of the Lord, kind of does not come upon someone and is removed from someone later on. Who? Saul. Saul. Yeah, exactly. So, I, like, I, I think it's no coincidence the way this stuff is worded. The spirit of the Lord comes upon David from that day forward. And then we read later on, which we'll talk about, that Saul has some distressing voodoo spirit and that the spirit of the Lord departs from Saul. So, again, we see those contrasts between both characters. We know the famous story. This is like the only story that kids know about David, right? David takes these rocks. He throws them at big, scary Goliath. Goliath falls down and he's dead. And the part that I want you to focus on is, uh, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you um, have defied. In the story of David and Goliath, when Saul kind of says, okay, David, fine, go out and fight Goliath, even though you're a tiny boy. Do you remember what he tries to give david before he goes out um, he gives david his armor. armor i remember when i was a little girl i would watch Superbook. i don't know if you guys remember that it was a cool show it was like a cartoon show with awful audio but it was of kids and they showed them going back to the old testament and i remember um, seeing david wear the armor and he would fall under the weight of the armor and it's it's reasonable to assume that because david was only a little boy and saul put on the armor and does david go out in the armor mm-hmm. What does he do? He just yeah, like he takes it off or whatever he does, and he goes out and picks up these five little petals and fights with it. So this reminds me of the New Testament. Who talks about the armor of God in the New Testament? Do you guys, remember? Yeah. So Saint Paul says, "Put on the armor of righteousness." So it's Ephesians six. I re- always remember Ephesians six because that chapter is so incredible. He says, "Put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit." So David decided to put on the armor of God rather than to put on the humanly armor. So we're not gonna look on the outward appearance. We're not gonna look at the outward armor because God always looks at the heart. We always look at the inside. So some parallels between the Old and the New Testament. And then we have David and Saul, which is also like a soap opera and a drama as well. So it's like this back and forth. Saul gets jealous of David after David defeats Goliath, because all of the people start saying, Saul has defeated tens, but David has defeated millions and thousands. Mm -hmm. And of course, Saul hears that, and he's like, okay, this little kid David, no. (laughs) And he gets angry. So now he seeks to kill him. And it's literally chapter after chapter of Saul chasing David, and David escapes. And then David has a chance to kill Saul. Does he? No. Obviously not, because it's like another 10 chapters in the Bible, but he doesn't. He spares him. And then does Saul learn a lesson? He does not. <laughs> he, does, he goes on and he continues to chase after David and he continues to try to kill him. Um, Even Saul's son Jonathan is like David's best friend. The brotherly love, which we could do a whole other talk about between Jonathan and David is very, very beautiful. And Jonathan actually tells Saul at one point, like, why are you still trying to kill David? David has done nothing to you. And what does Saul do in response to that? He literally takes his javelin and like throws it at his son and says, no, you can't say this. David is bad and he must die. So Saul doesn't learn his lesson despite being spared by David, just one second, despite being spared by David several times and despite seeing that David means no harm, he still continues to rebel. Sometimes we get lost in our little battles. Sometimes God gives us chance after chance. Sometimes David sends us a Jonathan or a Samuel to say, wake up. Maybe you need to take a step back. Maybe you need to really look at things. It doesn't have to be that you hate someone. Maybe it's just a sin that you've fallen into. Maybe it's something that you insist on doing it your way. And God gives you these little hints and says, no, no, no. Now is time to wake up. Now is time to wake up. And we need to listen because when we don't, we see what happens. Saul doesn't end up victorious here because the hand of the Lord always, always prevails. And ultimately, and, and unfortunately, Saul and Jonathan are killed in battle. And this is where the first book of Samuel ends. And then Second Samuel takes over. Yeah, did you want to say something? Okay. Saul was a king. Yes. He was a king. So yeah. They, so they, so they, do do... they weren't kings at the same time. So when Saul was anointed as king, he was actually anointed. And when he sinned, then God kind of said... David is going to be the next king, but David isn't officially anointed as king until Saul dies into the second book of Samuel. Okay. Okay. Uh, All right, so here. So this is a transition when we talk about Saul. So just from that brief, like, five seconds about Saul, if you looked at the outward appearance of Saul, you would see someone who was very fit to be king. It says, like, you know, Saul looked very handsome. Think of the most handsome, I won't give you examples, everyone has their own handsome. (laughs) Think of the most handsome person, you can imagine. Um, If you're a woman, think of the most beautiful woman. You can look at me if you get inspired, no kidding. Um, God looks at the inward, he looks at the heart. If you looked at David and you compared him to Saul at the time, Saul looked more fit to be a king. He was older, he was probably more built, he was anointed as king officially in front of everyone. But his heart was not there, it was at the beginning but it wasn't after. So a reminder, 1 Samuel sixteen seven, Do not look at the outward appearance because God looks at the heart. So now we're going to talk really quickly about Saul. He's not a main character in this talk, but I have to talk about him. He was chosen to be the first king, like we said, and, and jealousy just drove him to destruction. And a lot of the times we say jealousy drives us to destruction, but every sin can drive us to destruction in different ways if we're not careful. And it's easy to see... I mean, really, it's easy to see how Saul got jealous. He was the king. This little kid comes across and kills Goliath when David really shouldn't have been there in the first place. He was supposed to just be going to give food to his brothers. And he ends up becoming more popular than Saul. And you can imagine when Saul sees all of these people going through the streets and saying, oh, David is so great. Like, Saul's kind of annoyed. I like. When my sister was praised for winning a game over me, I was annoyed, so you can imagine. Saul had reason to be annoyed, but he let it spiral out of control. He didn't seek good counsel. He had Jonathan talking to him. He had Samuel talking to him, and he could have taken it back to God. He could have looked at it as, wow, David just defeated someone who was attacking my kingdom. He helped, and David meant no harm, but he didn't take those messages. He obviously dies in a battle, And this is the part where I said, the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul. So remember with David, the spirit of the Lord came upon David. And here, a distressing spirit came upon Saul. That word, like this distresses my heart when I just read. Can you imagine that? Like if a distressing spirit came over you, it's dark, it's bleak. And Saul probably didn't feel so great on the inside doing any of those things. And that's a reminder, when we're sinning, we don't feel good on the inside. We know that there's something wrong. That's the Holy Spirit working inside of us. And you can choose to open your heart and listen to that. Or there's the word heart in your heart. You can choose to close your heart and not listen to it. But God keeps giving us messages. So remember, David versus Saul. If you think about Saul on the outside, he looked great but the inside is what we care about. Our two themes here, remember, tested and broken, we saw it with Hannah, victorious and restored. Trials, trust in God. They're red on my side because was Saul tested and broken? He was, he was definitely tested and broken when David was praised over him. He probably was tested and broken when he saw that Jonathan loved David so much. He had an opportunity here. Did he take it and was he victorious and restored? He was not. Unfortunately, he was not. He missed that opportunity. He had a trial, and we saw like with Hannah, and we'll see with David, there was an opportunity to put his trust in God. There really was several opportunities, actually. But did he take it? He didn't. So missed opportunities, really missed opportunities. It's unfortunate, but again, everything in the Bible is there for our lesson and for our learning. And Saul is a great example. We all have a little bit of Saul in us. Hopefully, we can take it and turn it so that Our tested and brokenness is victorious and restored, and our trials are used to trust in God. Before I recap, I'm actually just going to go back here to David. Was David tested and broken? He definitely was tested and broken. He was always on flight when he was fleeing from Saul. Saul kept chasing after him, and he was always on the move. He was never with his family anymore it was like he could have had the one time of victory and restoration after he defeated goliath when he defeated goliath he was probably like oh yes this is the hand of god this is great now i'm going to be happy with jonathan i'm going to be happy with saul and that's not the way things turned out at all he trusted in god and that's what he got but he didn't give up hope he still became victorious and he still he was restored even the second book of samuel There's a lot of stuff in that book. I'm not going to go through it. But Absalom, his own son, rebels against him. He tries to kill him. He sleeps with his concubines. One of his kids rebels. His daughter goes and sleeps. It's a mess. There is a lot of family drama. But in the end, if you remember what I said at the beginning, in the end, David is still victorious. David praises God throughout the end of the second book of Samuel because he repents. And he goes back and he apologizes to God and he's restored. Did David go through trials? Yes. He obviously went through a gazillion trials. I'm giving a very brief overview. But he goes through several, several trials. Does he ever stop trusting in God? No. A very good proof of David's trials is just by reading the Psalms. Many of the Psalms are full of rejoice in the Lord. I praise you, God. But many of them start with, Why have you forgotten me, my Lord? Why are you downcast, my soul? If you read them you will truly feel how broken and how tested David was. And at the end of every single psalm, if you read it carefully, I actually did this for fun, it's true. It always ends off with a praise, but I will rejoice in you, my Savior. My soul is disquieted, but I will rejoice. I will praise you. I will trust in your name. You have been good to me, my Lord. All of these psalms, most of them were like written when David was on the run or when he was fleeing, or when he was going through all of this family drama. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in your lowest point right now, and just laying it before God like David did, and saying, my soul feels like you're far from me, God. I am restless. I feel hopeless. My enemies, my sins, everything is on my head. You lay it before God that raw, and then you say, but I trust in you. I know, I know you've been there for people before. I know you've been here for me before. I know that even though I'm broken, I know that you can do it. And even if you don't fully believe it, it's okay. God doesn't expect you to have 100% faith that everything is gonna be okay. But just a little bit of faith, right? Just like Jesus said, just faith like a mustard seed. And David showed that. So was he tested and broken? He was, but he was victorious and he was restored. Did he go through trials? He did but he ended up showing that trust in God. So I'm just going to flip forward. There's our key verse again. Actually, this verse, I mean, this really applies to David, right? If you look at his outward appearance, even after he became king when he grew up, what kind of king is always on the on the run? What kind of king has a family who utterly hates each other? What kind of king sins with a woman and then ends up killing her husband in return? That's the Bathsheba story, right? But... God looks at the heart and David sinned just like Saul did. But what was the difference? He returned, he returned. Back. He repented. He laid it before God and said, I'm sorry. I know I made a big boo-boo and I know I made a big mistake. I'm a doctor, I say boo-boo all the time, okay? I know I made a big mistake, but I turned to you and I trust you. It was, uh, uh, Adam and Eve. So let's just review. We talked about Hannah and we talked about David and we just have to talk about Saul's destruction. Were they tested and broken? Yes. Two of the three were victorious and resolved, uh, restored. Did they all go through trials? Yes. But they all used those trials to trust in God. So it's pretty easy. Tested and broken, victorious and restored. Trials to lead us to trust in God. Does this key verse apply to everyone? Yes. And remember, it's easy to remember because 1, 6 equals 7. 1 Samuel sixteen seven. Do not look at his outward appearance because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at this heart. Does this apply to David and Hannah and uh, Saul? It does. So one key verse can apply to everything. So before I end off, um, we're gonna do a reflection, but does anyone have questions about the content before we do our little reflection? okay the reflection requires us to reflect together not me reflecting on my own so we will reflect together and i have a lot of patience so i will wait until one of you reflects so now we talked about being tested and broken and then turning that to be restored i want you to think about your own life where have you been tested where have you been broken And maybe you're being tested and broken right now and you're still kind of waiting for your restoration. In all of our lives, we all have times where we can look back and we were tested and broken and God restored. We probably all have a time now where we're tested and broken and we're waiting for God to restore us. And that's okay because you will see it in your life ongoing and that's proof. Your previous brokenness and how God restored you is proof that God will not leave you now. It's proof that God will be here in your brokenness and in your test right now. So I think of my life and my personal experience, many, many personal experiences. But, you know, a couple of months ago, I had a very bad accident, car written off, broken leg. Like I was literally, I was, I was broken, like literally. And I was tested to still have faith in God. And, you know, I was being sued. I was in a law case. And God, surprisingly, like I got a call... Maybe a month ago this happened in January. I got a call a month ago um, From the lawyer saying they they just completely dropped the charges because the police officer didn't actually file the ticket He wrote the wrong date on my ticket, which I had not even noticed when I submitted it, but like That was that was like huge. I, I couldn't believe it even after my broken leg um, They told me after I did some physio. They said no surgery with a broken leg, which was huge So I was literally broken and restored, and now now I'm going through so many things at work, you know, with patients being angry, and this people this, and so many times daily in my personal life, I am tested and I feel broken almost two, three times a day even. But I have proof, I doubt, and I'm like, God, why am I going through this problem? Why is this happening? And yet yesterday I got the call that my ticket was released. How easy we forget, how easy, easy we forget, but we're human, and that's okay, because we'll be tested and we'll be broken. But there's that hope, and there's the, not just the hope, there's the proof that God restores us. There's the proof in my life, in your life, in the Bible. There's the proof, so don't let go of that. There's always that hope. Do we fully trust in God? The Bible says we all know it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. We know that, right? Trust in the Lord with a little bit of your heart. Trust in the Lord with 50% of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart with every single ounce of strength inside of you. And it's very difficult to do that. It's really easy to be broken in a time of absolute misery, to feel like no one understands you, even though you're surrounded by people, but you feel alone. It's an incredibly isolating place. It's difficult to see other people thriving and having what you think is apparent success, but you don't know what's going on in every person's life. Everyone is tested and broken and has trials in a different way. The difference in the outcome is whether you bring it to God. And if you fully trust in him saying, I trust in God, but constantly worrying about it is very different than saying, I trust in God and bringing those worries into prayer. It's very, very different. I thought I am speaking to myself going through this before anyone, when I am tested and broken, I say, yes, God, I trust in you. I pray the Psalms. I pray the Our Father. Maybe I go to church twice that week because I'm studying for an exam and I need a little bit of extra prayer in my life. But do I fully trust in God in that? Am I really bringing it to God? Or am I doing all these things, but inside of my heart, I don't really believe that God will do the best for me. I'm I'm anxious. It's okay to be anxious. You have emotions. Emotions are healthy and there for a reason. But we need to turn those trials into trust. And relating it, St. Paul, he says, most of you might know this, right? We rejoice in our sufferings, know that sufferings produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint, because God's love has been poured to us into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And what more relevant of a time to talk about God's pouring of the Holy Spirit into our hearts than the time we're just in now, after celebrating the Pentecost and uh, the Apostles' uh, Fast. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. I think we say this a lot, but we don't remember when it says the spirit of the Lord was upon um, David. Like a piece of God is literally inside of you. How can you not have trust in him? How can we not be reassured that the God who sent his only son to die for you, someone loved you enough to die for you, will not help you now. He has a 100% proven record that he has gotten you through until today. He will most definitely get you through tomorrow. But you have to trust in him. You have to lay everything before his feet in honesty because God sees that brokenness and he rewards that brokenness. He really, really does. So who are you in the book of Samuel? I want you to go home. If you want to share, and we'll open up the floor to share, please do. Um, It's, it's kind of nice to go home and have some some quiet time today or sometime this weekend. Like, I really encourage you to do it. Choose a character in Samuel, whether it be Saul. We all have a little bit of Saul in us. We all have a little bit of Hannah. We all have a little bit of David. Choose a character and think, who am I? How am I like Hannah's brokenness? How am I like her earnest prayer? How am I different? Where in Hannah's prayer or in David's psalms do I need to improve? Can I emulate? What can I learn from them? How am I different than them? What lessons can you apply in your life today? How is the Old Testament character relevant to me today? Where am I in the Bible story? I don't know if you guys know Abuna Dawud Lamai. He's yeah, he just did a Bible. I love Abuna Dawud. His Arabic for those of you who speak Arabic, they're very very easily understandable. He has an English um, he has an English phrase and he says, "Put yourself in the Bible story." And it's a great way to approach any Bible story you, re- you read find yourself in one of the characters in the Bible story. How am I like Hannah? How am I like David? How am I like Saul? How am I like Adam? How am I like Eve? How am I like St. Paul? How am I like St. Peter? How am I different? If you put yourself in the Bible story, it becomes that much more relevant. I love what St. Paul says to Timothy. This, like this verse, I love a lot of verses in the Bible. This verse is like why you should read the Bible. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Every single verse in the Bible and every single story in the Bible, this is why, I mean, I guess I'm assuming this is why we're doing this theme in the edge. Because everything is written for our benefit. Sometimes God rebukes and sometimes he chastens but so did our parents do so when we were young. We need that rebuking and we need that chastening because it's like that rope that draws us back in and causes us to wake up. Every word of God is there for us. Every example of a story, whether it be someone who rejoiced and someone who trusted or someone who fell and either had a happy ending or a not so happy ending, it's there for our benefit. So use it. One of the things that I learned to do is, I learned to do, kind of a cheap thing, but I'll share it. Every morning when I wake up, I have this thing where I literally have to count 10 things on my fingers that I'm thankful for in the morning that was different than yesterday's. And I'm not allowed to repeat them. It's a little game I play with myself. And one of the things I was thinking of yesterday is I was thinking, thank you God for the YouTube live streams that our church has for us, that I can re-listen to sermons on and on again. If I can't go to liturgy that day, then I can watch the liturgy. Thank God for the Bible which has not changed since the beginning of time it was written. Thank God to be born in our faith, where you can be certain that you are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses who have proof that God has never left his people. Use the Bible. Thank God for the Bible and use it. Use it to structure your prayers. Use it to learn lessons. Use it to have hope. If you think you're broken, we just saw there were some pretty broken people and they were all restored. If you think you're going through trials, that's okay. You can have hope and you can have trust because we saw just in this presentation that you can turn your trials and you can use them to dig a deeper pit or you can use them to trust and depend on God. And just like Hannah and David, they told God how broken they were. God wants you to tell him how broken you are. He's a dad. He's daddy. He says, Abba, Father, right? St. Paul says, we call him Abba, Father. Call him Abba, Father and ask him what you want, but come to him with your whole heart, trusting that he'll restore you. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. The sacrifices of God are not a proud heart that thinks they can depend on themselves. It's a broken spirit, because when you take your brokenness to God, God will not despise. That's it. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to clap. Does anyone, well, thank you, I appreciate it. Does anyone have questions or um, or comments? Questions about something that wasn't clear? I'm actually going to make a comment. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Comments about something that wasn't clear. (laughs) No, 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 I'm kidding. Go ahead. But I was actually, and I'm going to share this. I was actually really, really tired and exhausted today, and I was not going to come. And God just wanted me to be here to listen to this. And it's all about his timing. Like, I could have, it's recorded, I could have listened to it next week, but it's, Really, his timing. Like, I needed to listen to this today. So thank God. Um, thank you so much. Thank and you. God um, is really good. Yeah, it it was great. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how sometimes, um, like you hear something or you you read a Bible verse or you hear a story, and it's like you feel like God just like ignored the entire world and did it directly to you. Like some days, like I love the sun, and one day when it's sunny, I'm like, thank you, God, for the sun, as if God only made it sunny for me, but that's how good God is. Like, isn't it amazing how there are billions of people in the world and yet God looks at you. He looks at you and he has an exact plan for just you as if you're the only person who mattered. Isn't that sweet? How can you not love a God and fully depend on a God like that? It's incredible. I I really feel like um, even though, like I said at the beginning, when I consistently declined this talk and was politely dragged into doing it, I can feel now on the other side why. Because I needed to read this. I learned a lot about the brokenness of Hannah and David. I, I learned a lot even in preparing. I learned so much in preparing this. I memorized. I made up the First Samuel 16:77 7, 7 things so that I could remember that verse. I began to see myself in many of the characters and... I actually began to read the Book of Psalms from the beginning to really try to see how broken David was, and how he always ends the Psalms. And he does do it for fun. He always ends the Psalms with hope. So, I—if you benefited—I think God really made me do this for my benefit. God is very good. Thank you so much. Uh, any comments? Anything? Okay. Well, thank you so much, Marina. Thank you, guys.